Hi, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And I'm delighted because I have with me today Dr. Sarah Coxon, who's a former archaeologist. And I know her as a business coach, but I know she wears many hats. And I will let her tell you a little bit more about herself. Hi, Sarah. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. I'm so excited to be here. And I love your introduction because, yeah, <laughs> most of the time when someone asks me that question, what is it that you do? I'm like, oh, no, because <laughs> there's so many different facets to what I do. But really, if I, if I can break it down is into one thing, it's like I'm all about women's liberation, like, like bringing themselves out of the cage that either they've put themselves in or society has created for them or their culture has created for them. And really being a spokesperson and saying there's another way to live and it doesn't have to be so hard. Mm. So I'm all about liberation and flow and ease and women's fulfillment in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And God knows we really need it. Mm, absolutely. The thing was, you know, that, that wasn't always my experience of life. So when I, when I was growing up, I decided like, I want to be an archaeologist. And there was this sense within me, like I wanted to be an archaeologist from the age of nine. And there was a sense within me throughout my teenage years, I felt like there was something that was missing, like some piece of ancient knowledge that I needed to, to literally excavate and get my hands on. Because I felt that the way I was being brought up, the culture from the UK, but the, the cultural narrative that I was raised in felt like I wasn't seeing the world clearly. It felt like something was um, missing. And really, I didn't understand that I felt really disconnected from myself. Mm. But I believed that perhaps there was some ancient wisdom that would really help me to f connect all the dots. So I decided I was going to become an archaeologist. And um, yeah, that was, that was my kind of gateway into understanding really that it's only been for the past 2,000 years in kind of predominantly Christian culture and, you know, Anglo-American, well, Anglicized culture and now Anglo-American culture, that we have been operating from a patriarchal society where women are not revered, women are not honored. And um, yeah, it's a kind of, I realized that through the journey of archaeology that there's a, a bigger, there's a bigger message that we need to be transferring, which is that women are powerful and we seem to have forgotten that over the past 2000 years. I think that's a really solid point. And then I, I feel like too, that we've almost, at least here in the States, I feel like we've swung to this other end of the pendulum where when there is like women's empowerment, like I don't always relate to like feminism or that movement. Cause it feels like mm. this, it feels like a masculine type of power that women are like trying to step into versus like actually just being powerful as women. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. I, like, I completely agree with you. And you know, the feminism of the 60s and the 70s was just another type. It was just a level of masculine consciousness rising. It wasn't actually the rise of the feminine. And the, the thing is, I understand why that pendulum swung so far. Mm -hmm. It's because it's it's like anything, you know, there's always a backlash and there were thousands of years of oppression. So it makes sense that there's this kind of like backlash against it. But actually femininity is not about burning your bras and wearing shoulder pads and, you know, operating from 
hustle, grind, women can do it too. It's mm-hmm. actually honoring that there are that that our feminine nature is still powerful but so different. And I think that's the conversation that seems to be happening now, at least in the spheres that I'm working in and with my clients and stuff like that, is that we recognize that there are masculinity is not bad, but there are lower levels of masculinity and there are higher levels of masculinity. So the lower levels of masculinity are the the underpinnings of patriarchy, scarcity, need to control resources, need to dominate. Actually, the higher levels of masculinity consciousness is being able to create structure, being able to create a container. This is really important. And then in terms of feminine consciousness, actually the lower levels of femininity is that over-emotionality, is the neediness. But then the higher levels of femininity is, you know, flow and creativity and literally creation. So really I feel that there's a new narrative that's happening now and it goes way beyond the, you know, we can do it too narrative of the past. I like that. So it sounds like you've done a decent amount of like discovery with this, even since the last time I've, I've spoken with you, I think, which was a, quite a few months ago, where are you, like, where are you pulling from different resources? Like, are you studying women around the world? Is it just within your own life and within the people that you work with that you're seeing, mm. you know, is it just your, is this born of your, is this awareness, I guess, like just born of your own internal sort of regulation and awareness, or are you seeking you know, different women out to, to talk to or to gain information from as you kind of build this perspective and, and have this perspective and share it with others? Yeah, it's, it's really a bit of everything. Really, like my past was dedicated to women. I just didn't really understand it. So when I was doing my archaeological degree, you know, I was researching the role, the powerful role of women before the widespread adoption of patriarchy. And so that was, we're talking like 12 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And it's like a theme that's kind of run throughout my life. And, you know, when I was even before that, when I was 15, 16, I got really heavily into goddess worship and, and stuff like that. So there was always this sense that the feminine was really powerful for me. And I really connected to her. But then I would lose my way. I would kind of forget about her. I would go back into the, I would kind of get reconditioned again by what was external. So for example, you know, in academia, like rising through the ranks of academia, ironically, I was researching about the role of women, but I was in a system that was not geared towards making women thrive, like helping women thrive. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I bought into this archaic hierarchical system. And then I left academia because I realized that that was so oppressive And then I began teaching yoga and feminine flow and I was doing that for years. And then I decided to transmit that and grow it into an online business. And then once again, I got sucked into the, you know, the hustle, the grind, the do it this way, the strategy and all that kind of stuff. So really my message is my medicine, my message that you can tap into your femininity. You can reclaim your wild woman through various practices. You can create success from a space of ease and flow. You like really tapping into your innate superpowers as a woman. It's my medicine too, because it's the thing that I have struggled with the most. Mm-hmm. I think that is really true for women 
across the board, I think whether we're creating businesses or whether we are working, especially I think probably higher ups like CEOs, I have several you know, women that I've interviewed in the past couple of months about stress and anxiety who are like in high government sort of jobs. And I, I don't feel like there's really any space there, very little space for women to be women. It's like the way they talk about mm. their work and how they have to show up. It is very like enmeshed within the patriarchy. Uh, yeah. But I, lo- I love your message. And for me, as I've been building my business, hearing how you talk about business is so different, I think, than what I hear, even from like other women coaches and the online, sp- the online space is so saturated with different messaging. And, um, you know, I get a lot of like, win it and get it and like get up and grind. <laughs> and, and I mean, all that stuff is fine. Like, yes, you have to work every day, but I get like, I personally can't stand when people are like, Hey, winners. Like, I'm like, what, like, what does this even mean? Like, I mean, I get it. Mm. But to me, like even that word, I just, I don't like it because I feel like it has this connotation of, you know, we've got to like get in there and grind and like fight every day to like get our position. So yeah, that approach to me feels very stressful. So I really like, and I keep this in mind a lot when I'm doing business stuff of like, oh wait, I can tap into this sense of flow. And if I'm not feeling it, if I'm feeling more of that like stress grind, just to like take a couple steps back and be like, oh wait, there's another way to do this. I think just knowing that there's another way like allows right. more of that way to sort of infiltrate, you know, how I do business and I'm sure other yeah. women that you work with. Absolutely. And and the I mean, there's two things I kind of want to point out from what you said, which I love is that the first thing is like language is generative. So when you see in the online space or it's not just with businesses, it's with everything like slay it, crush it, you Mm -hmm. know, all these kind of things. Actually, what's going on is you're creating, your body is responding to that, those words. And it is creating a stress response. Mm -hmm. And this stress response is actually inhibiting your ability to flourish because what's happening is when you're in a stress response, you know this, that your cognitive centers literally shut down. Everything is going to your limbs. You're getting in flight or fight. So your intuition, your ability to conduct creativity and be a vessel for creativity, your ability to even uh, come up with solutions is greatly inhibited. So actually, when we talk about when we talk about slaying things and crushing things and we're using such language that really embodies violence, it's doing us a huge disservice. What I'm saying is there is another way. And actually, it's far more bodily led. Mm-hmm. So rather than trying to use your mind all the time to strategize your way out of a, a situation or into a situation, and it doesn't have to be in business, it can be in anything, you know, any solution you think you need to come up with, and you're trying so hard to strategize with your mind. Actually, what I'm saying is like, use your body, mm-hmm. feel your body to make those decisions. And from and you know from that understanding your felt sense and understanding when your body is responding to something either through expansion and contraction that's what's going to really move you forward and that's really what will allow you to not only enjoy the process which is far more important than achieving the goal but actually the goal will become the byproduct of that anyway mm-hmm. I love that. And that's right, like up my alley with all the somatic experiencing work that I'm studying and that I'm using with people. It's really to to go off of our physiology and our sensations and really to let those be our guide. Because like you were saying, when our cognitive 
brain is like spinning and trying to figure out, we're only using like this very small percentage of what we have access to within our bodies and our beings. So with being able to like tap into the physiology, and I do this all the time now, it's like how I get through life is just under, like taking a minute to be like, wait, what's happening in my body and not necessarily needing to characterize it or tell a story around it, but just being like, what is my body telling me right now? And I, I think a, a big thing, because this can be so foreign to people too, is just that with practice, this gets easier and it becomes more reliable, I think too, where at least for me, I've definitely started relying on my ability to tap into my felt sense and like use this as a guide for business and in life. But I know now, like when I am super stressed out about things, I just take a break. And I like what you said too, about like enjoying the process. I was having a a conversation with someone yesterday about that and about being able to, like, it's just so much more delightful when I'm excited about what I'm building versus like, I have to do this because I have to like get this goal. It's so much more fun to be like, oh, cool. I'm going to like do this today. And this is going to excite this person. And, um, I don't know. It's really fun. Like I've, it's so much more fun than struggling, <laughs> which obviously. Absolutely. But that's, I mean, the struggle is how we've been conditioned. You know, we've been conditioned to be very goal orientated. Mm-hmm. It's very much like I will be happy when I have achieved a certain outcome, whether it is a certain amount of money or a big house or a car or whatever it is. Like I will be happy when I have this, but actually the, the feminine way is really the higher levels of feminine consciousness is really flowing and embodying the experience and being fulfilled in the moment. That's what creativity is. That's when you're in that, when you're in that creative flow state, it's characterized by timelessness, this feeling of just being in the zone. And if you spend your life living that way, everything else comes as a byproduct of that. Hmm. You know, the outcome I, it never ceases to amaze me when I'm like, oh, I will. Ha- I have my goals for sure. But then I'm like, oh, I'm here. Wow, cool. Because every day, for the most part, not always, because I'm human and sometimes life doesn't feel so great. But for the most part, like I've trained myself to really do what does this feel expansive? Does this excite me? Mm-hmm. If it does, I'm going to do this. And the best decisions I've ever made in my life are the ones that don't make any sense. Hmm. And they, because they don't have to. It's almost like the way I see it now. And, and it's funny because I, well, I've, I had kind of left this understanding for a couple of years as I was building my business. It was almost like my spiritual life was separate from my business life. It all got very strange. Mm-hmm. But really the way that I really live my life now, now that I've been able to finally marry them together, is that life is happening for me. And... I'm not in control. It's like, I have a desire, but that desire is not really mine. It's just a signal from the universe. And my job is literally to use my body, my felt sense, my excitement, all of these kind of principles and practices to follow the breadcrumbs Hmm. because it's almost like a path is being laid out for me. And the reason I say this is because anything that has been truly magical in my life, I have not planned it. I've been open to it. There has been space for it to come in. And I felt that I've been deserving of it, but I haven't planned how, how, I haven't planned how it's come to me. And that's now how I'm operating and it's far more fun. (laughs) That's great. It's so exciting to even understand that that realm of possibility is upon us, you know, and we can live like that. And I, 
When yeah. you were talking about creativity, I've been listening to a lot of Brene Brown the past two days, um, who I like just love started her. listening to. I know, and so many people have <laughs> oh talked about god, her. Oh my god, I love her. She's great, and I like just I've been. That's what I've been doing in the car the past few days. And but she was talking a little bit about creativity um, yesterday, and I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was so cool. Like she was saying how a lot of us, like in our youth, sort of got that creativity part like shut down. She had, and she's a researcher, mm-hmm. right? So she had actual like statistics and research to back this up with like. I don't know, some huge percentage. I, I forget what it was. I want to say like in the 75 to 90 percentile range of- That um, does not surprise me. Yeah, huge where like something happened when we were in school where our creativity was shut down, either told like we can't draw or we can't, you know, whatever, write or whatever it was, got shut down for us. And she was talking about now with people trying to like create and, um, you know, build things, whatever they're trying to do in their lives, that tapping back into creativity is one of the bigger ways to connect like our heads to our hearts, uh, which I thought was just really inspiring. It made me like think back to like, oh, I remember when that teacher told me my drawing wasn't like good, but it also inspired me to think about like what creative things do I enjoy doing and like how can I bring those back into my life just as part of, as part of living in more of that flow state. I like understanding that that is like a piece of of my practice and of my work in the world. And it's not necessarily this thing that, oh, maybe if I can make time for it, I'll shove that in, which I think is how we tend to view hobbies and um, creative practices in this this country or in this whole paradigm, I guess. It's like, oh, that's cute. You like dance on the side. But instead of really embracing it as no, this is part of my work in the world is to you know, spend time being creative every day because it helps me to live in that flow state. Absolutely. Playing, creativity, giving yourself space. Mm-hmm. You think of these things as not important or, you know, lazy. Like that's one of the big things I hear like, oh, but I would take time out, but people will just think I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, like it's your greatest ideas happen when you're walking in nature or you're just painting or flow like dancing or whatever it is it's actually a very important process actually I wrote my PhD on creativity obviously creativity in prehistory so mm-hmm. creativity a few thousand years ago but what was really interesting to me was until relatively recently creativity was only was kind of synonymous with inte- like intelligence mm. and IQ and Actually, now what researchers are saying is that creativity is a much more embodied experience where creativity is not just a cognitive process, but it's extended, well, it's, it's embodied, so it's within mm-hmm. the body, but it's also extended. Creativity is literally how we shape our world. Mm. So everything that is in the room you're sat in right now is an extension of a creative process. So creativity is how the world operates. And when I feel back into that, it gives, it's like a permission slip that actually this is what I'm here for. I'm here to create. Yeah, I think that's important. I think we do need that because we're so driven on, um, yeah, I got to get things done. I need to be productive. I need to be busy. I need to get up an hour early so I can work on my business. And sometimes that's true. And, but I think it's equally as true that I need to like take a long weekend here and there just because like, and that's, I remember, I think my therapist actually really honed this in and sort of gave me that permission slip a while ago when we were talking and she's kind of responding to what I'm saying about my environment and, you know, how I am in the world. And she's like, you know, this is, 
as important for you as anything else for you to take this time and go be in nature and take time away and give yourself space. She's like, you're not going to be productive or get anything done or be happy like without that. That's vital for your health. Um, mm. So that was really nice to hear, you know, from a like a trusted professional, like, hey. Um, yeah, but it's, it's true. And it these true. days, you know, I don't work on most days, I don't really work more than three to four hours a day. There are some days when I'm really in the zone and I really just mm-hmm. want to kind of, I'm really fired up and I can't help myself. And there are some days, not very often, but there are some days when there's a lot on my plate. But the majority of the time is just spent, I really feel like I enjoy my life fully and that I, that, that I don't even really work a day in my life because the work that I do is just, just an extension of, Mm-hmm. of who I am and I, I laugh because basically I just get paid to have conversations and talk to women which is what I'd be doing anyway so <laughs> it's, it's pretty it's pretty fun <laughs> I love yeah. too that you did your um, PhD on creativity I was <laughs> I did my like senior capstone project before I went in to get my doctorate but I did it on belly dancing and I, I just, amazing. I remember how fun that was. And at that time, I thought I wanted to go into neuroscience and research. So I was doing this application project or process for this neuroscience PhD. And they were asking me about like my research up to that point. And I was like, yeah, it's on belly dance. And I was really excited to talk to them. And I think they did not know what to do with me. They're like, okay, well, do rat. <laughs> I was like, no, humans and physiology and like the psychological effects of dance on young women. And Yes, yeah, so it was probably a gift. I did not. It was a gift. I I did not get into that program <laughs> and took the route that I did. Yeah. Right, with physical movement and neuroscience in my own way, which is pretty cool. But I like that. That's you were kind of along the lines of that, and the you know digging through archaeology with creativity. Yeah, I, I, I that was one thing that I really loved about what I did. You know, the research was really cool for me and. And, you know, I'd be excavating every summer. I'd be, I was working a lot in Hungary, Croatia, Serbia. And, you know, I was looking at objects and digging up objects and then finding objects in the museum stores that were made like three, 4,000 years ago. And that was really exciting to me, being able to see literally yeah. on a ceramic vessel that had been made like a thumbprint. But for me, the the academic system, the way that it was set up was just... It's just kind of everything that that crushed my soul. Mm, yeah, I feel you. Yes, and <laughs> I felt that. I know you understand. I know you understand this. It's you know, and of course, there was part of me that thought, okay, when I have a PhD, then I will feel that I'm enough. Mm-hmm. Then I'll be able to hold my head high. And I remember my viva. I cried in my viva because I was. I felt like the biggest fraud. I thought they were just being kind to me to let me through. And I also did not have a very supportive mentor as well. So my supervisor was, she was a woman, which is, which surprises me, but she was very, it felt very backstabby and just kind of hierarchical and dog eat dog. And, and I, yeah. So for me, it was, it was sad because on one hand, the archeology span was really, was really cool and really interesting. But the other hand, I just couldn't, thrive in that environment and then there was also part of me that was like well is any of this research really helping anybody Hmm. and there was this real desire to to really help people and I was I was working part-time in a new age crystal shop for for a good few years whilst I was doing my degree and stuff and that really lit me up 
but I was so embarrassed Mm -hmm. to talk to any of my colleagues about that because they're like, you work in a what? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I'm surrounded by hippies all day and it's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you know, little did they know that I had like crystals in my bra and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) And I was really, I was really into it. But that, I think that that happens a lot as well is, and I see this a lot with some of the women that I work with is the fear of, um, fear of judgment and the fear of not being taken seriously. So we stop Mm -hmm. ourselves from doing what's fun, what feels expansive, what really melts our butter. We're scared of doing that or at least owning it because it's woo woo or whatever it is that we call it, or it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me a very, very long time to kind of get over that. And now I would love to know what my ex-colleagues make of me because here I am you know showing up doing a podcast talking about energy and feminine liberation and I would yeah and sometimes crystals still so I would love I would love to know but now it doesn't it doesn't affect me I've had to you know move beyond that Mm -hmm. yeah that's wonderful I definitely I think had a lot more of that in the beginning and I'm happy to say like, oh no, I've, I've risen to a level of being more like comfortable with what I'm doing and what I'm putting out there. Cause it is very different than a lot of my, you know, physical therapy colleagues and other colleagues that are sort of just more in that, the medical, mo- you know, health professional model. Um, and then I'm, you know, working with women in recovery and like, how can we move forward in our lives and create all these positive changes and, um, and use tools like somatic experiencing, which is a very body-based therapy and like one of the reasons I was so drawn to the somatic experiencing work is because like, A, it really, really worked for me. And I think just by nature, I'm a body oriented person. I think probably most of us are. Uh, but I also really liked that there was like a system and a structure to it because I felt like it legitimized it. And it was mm-hmm. like PhDs that are in there and there's psychologists and there's medical doctors. I'm like, okay, this is great. This is like a system that I can... I can feel okay about sharing with my colleagues because I feel like it was sort of legitimate in the medical community. And then I spoke with Kimberly Johnson a couple weeks ago. I had her on the podcast and she's a somatic experiencing practitioner, but she started her training in Brazil and she was kind of like had the other approach where she sort of started, started it because it was sort of more like shamanically based and holistic. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't think these are the words she used just to be clear, but she was like, now it's kind of crazy that it's all these like PhDs and doctors and the whole model's totally changed. And I just thought that was an interesting perspective. And I like now feeling like, oh, this work is so amazing because it encompasses both. Like it does have like this kind of shamanic aspect to it. That's a little more maybe like woo woo or energetically based, but I mean, the end result is that it works. So like, I love that. And I think that you and I are quite similar in the sense that there is, there has to, for me, there has to be some kind of evidence that it works. Mm. And I, I like, I do like science. I like evidence-based stuff, Mm. you know, but anecdotal evidence works for me too. And yet at the same time, I love anything that's shamanic and energy-based and because, because the thing is you can feel it, you can feel it working. It doesn't matter what the mechanisms are behind that shift Mm -hmm. and that transformation and so yeah I I mean I think we're both similar and I love that with somatic experience and stuff like that that there you know you can come at it from two different angles and still come to the conclusion that is like it works yeah it works it helps people (laughs) and I think you know the bottom line is when your day-to-day life is happier like do more of that you know what's 
what's creating, helping you to create this happier life and this more flow centric lifestyle. Um, so that's yeah, been a big, that's exactly it. Yeah. And it never ceases to amaze me when people are struggling and I'm like, well, what is it that you're doing? Oh, I keep doing this and I have to do it. I'm like, just drop it. Yeah. Just don't be a martyr, just drop it. But that's the conditioning. That's the, you have to sacrifice, Mm -hmm. you know, there has to be grit. That's not the same as consistency. Consistency is important. Structure is important. But Mm -hmm. sacrifice, hustle, grind, who told us that that's the way life works? Because that's not how nature works. Yeah. You know, sometimes there is an element of struggle when something is growing. For example, a caterpillar when it's in its chrysalis, you know, it, there is an element of struggle to get out of the chrysalis. And, but if you cut it off too soon, then the caterpillar dies. But when you allow there to be some kind of element of struggle, some kind of resistance, then the caterpillar can emerge into a beautiful butterfly. So there is an element of, yes, sometimes things do feel like a, there's a, those growing pains. But hustle, grind, you know, all of that kind of stuff and sacrificing, that's a very different kind of narrative. And we really need to push that away because that's, we don't see that in nature. It's not natural. It's completely constructed. And it's also counterproductive. It, it does the exact opposite of what you want. It burns you out. And then you're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Then you're further away from the happiness and the easy flow. I I read something on, um, it was actually on Instagram the other day on the holistic psychologist had posted something that was talking about like our mothers and how this whole paradigm of like, like martyrdom back in the forties for women was kind of, and I don't know if it was the forties, but like back in the day, 20, 30 years ago, how martyrdom for women was the paradigm of like, Oh, I sacrifice for my family. And I, you know, Mm. I do all the work done in the house. And that was just sort of the way that, that women were indoctrinated. And then I think seeing how some of that is like trickled down to us now, like I definitely try to be aware of that when I see it in my own life. And I, kind of pointed out in conversations with my mom when I see that stuff coming up in her, um, I, you know, gently say, Hey, like, (laughs) do you, do you have to like do all of this kind of struggle and suffering right now? Is this really necessary to your life? And most of the time it's not, but for, that's so interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. I'd like to, I don't know. All this stuff is just fascinating. I'd like to learn more about all of it. Mm, yeah. And I see that with my parents as well. Like their, their narrative is still about struggle. Like my dad, I think he's in disbelief that I'm living the life that I'm living or there's some, I don't know if it's resentment. I, my dad loves me and we have a really good relationship, but for him, you know, becoming freelancer or self-employed is like struggle, real struggle, real <laughs> sacrifice, real hard work and scarcity. So when he sees that it's really working for me and I'm literally to him, probably it looks like I'm not working. Mm-hmm. I can I can see that he's like, all right, well, this won't last. You know, yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to last. Or the, or it, or they go the completely other way. Well, we know how hard you work, and I'm like, I, I really don't. Um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> like um, nope, but, but you know, <laughs> I'm just good at what I do. So it, I can see there's a real. I don't know if it's a generation thing or whether it's just a paradigm thing, but there is a real gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they, I still, they still are like, oh, Sarah, you know, you can't afford this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> like, we're all good. This, you don't like, I'm not a teenager anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, parents. 
I know. Um, it's good to remember it all comes out of love, uh, but it is yeah. hugely different generational. And I think the whole entrepreneur thing is just different now than it was probably when they were seeing people start businesses just because of the digital age and, you know, we've got so much access to people and, and to information with the online world. So yeah, it's, it's, inc- part of it's it. incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You know, what we are able to do now just from even a phone, let alone a laptop, yeah. is absolutely incredible. And I feel so, so, so lucky that I've been able to tap into this. And I see a lot of people are doing the same thing, but not everyone is supposed to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my partner, for example, he's a, he's a freelancer. He has his own massage therapy studio and he does osteopathic techniques, but he's still in the employee mentality. He just can work when he wants to work. He has that freedom, but he's like, I don't think I could do what you do. Like you have to really come up with new ideas and and stuff. I'm like, this is just how I'm wired. So Mm -hmm. I think some people are wired for entrepreneurship and some aren't. And I think there's the, the issue is like, Oh, well, if you're not happy with your job, just become an entrepreneur. Yeah. But it makes people feel bad because some people just aren't meant to do that. You know, they they just better advice would be look for a job that that satisfies you. Mm-hmm. If that's if you're that way inclined, so I think we have to be really yeah we have to be really careful about the the, the narrative around entrepreneurship as well. It's not the fix. Your attitude towards your life that's what creates shifts. Not jumping from a nine to five job into entrepreneurship, because if you have a scarcity mindset and if you have false beliefs or you're operating from patriarchal conditioning, then you're going to struggle no matter whether you're in a nine to five job or you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you too, this is kind of just jumping around, but I want to make sure I ask you this because you talked earlier Love about <laughs> like practices um, and things that women can do to help kind of increase our like daily flow and um, I guess just embodying that's those sort of higher levels of feminism. I'm curious if you could share some of the practices that you do or that you encourage your clients to do that you find are beneficial. So there's two in particular that are coming up right now as you ask that. One is intuitive movement. So if you're you don't have to know any yoga or anything like that. You, you don't have to have done yoga before. But the way I teach yoga now, I, I call it feminine flow. And it's really organic movement where you allow your body to move spontaneously, breathe spontaneously, and just start to kind of move in ways that rub up against those areas of tension that you find and skillfully use that natural bodily intelligence to release it. You can do this as a way to kind of like you can do this off the back of a regular yoga practice or you can even just stand with your feet wide apart and just start swaying your hips and finding out where there's tension and moving and then literally breathing space into those areas and moving and what you'll find is that sometimes your body will want to move really dynamically so really big movements and it will feel dynamic. But there'll be other times when even just a micro movement can still feel blissful, can still feel pleasurable. And it's really about honoring, honoring the breath, honoring movement. And in that way, we start to release tension that has been stored in the body 
And we also start to work on the subtle, the energetic body as well. So we're getting prana, life force really flowing around. So that's one, one way. Or you can even do like ecstatic dance if, if you want to go and do ecstatic dance. Like for me, ecstatic dance makes me feel high for hours and hours and hours and hours afterwards. And it's a way of really reclaiming our bodies. Another practice that I, I teach my clients is to release the psoas. So the psoas is a muscle that originates from the middle of the spine and comes all the way down to attach to the thigh bones. And what happens when we're, in, when we're stressed out is that we go into that flight or fight response and then muscles contract. And over time, that becomes chronic tightness, particularly with the psoas muscle. When a psoas muscle is chronically tight, then it's having a huge impact. It's really creating pressure on our internal organs, particularly our reproductive organs. And energetically, this is also the, the seat of our creativity, our sensuality, our sexuality, you know, that fire, being able to feel pleasure. So really being able to release physically into the psoas allows us to open ourselves up energetically. And one of the best ways you can do this is to bring the soles of your feet together. When you're sat down, outer edges of the feet are on the, on the floor. You can bring the heels in towards you until you feel that biting point of tension. And then just allow yourself to kind of fold over a little bit and just stay there, breathing deeply and staying there for about three minutes. You want to make sure that you meet the, your first edge, as it were, where you feel that something is, is opening. The reason what you're feeling there is actually the interconnected tissue. There's a, there's a releasing going on there. And then over time, what you'll see is that your body will go deeper and deeper and deeper into the posture and there'll be more release. And what I, I see with a lot of the women that I teach is, is that very often when you're opening into these areas, when you're opening into the psoas, there will be an emotional release. So very often tears can come. And that's because we store emotions in the body, particularly in this really sacred area as women. So when it comes to, yeah, physical practice that can really encourage a reclamation of what it is to be a woman, you know, creativity, sensuality, sexuality, uh, pleasure, play, really starting to open up into the physical body uh, really starts to, to create this, this shift in the whole of our being. And it's incredible. It's, yeah, it's a practice that I absolutely swear by. If, you're, if you guys are really interested in that, then you can check out restorative yoga, yin yoga, especially for hips, and, and it creates huge, huge openings. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think too, just even physically with we're sitting so much during the day, it's like chronically, exactly. chronically tightened from a physical therapy perspective, even like chronically tightened psoas is a big, a big deal for a lot of people. And exactly. This, this reminds me too of how much I love belly dancing and why I was so into that research because for similar reasons, like being able to go into that area and move it for women, it really is very, it can be very emotional and just very awakening, um, a little mm -hmm. different than what you're talking about with the yin, the sustained stretching. But I think attention to that area with movement is hugely important for women. Absolutely. That's what I teach in my feminine flow is that, you know, I, I, talk about this area of being the pelvic bowl like a, it's like a cauldron of magic and it's potent mm -hmm. and by wiggling your hips and by really feeling into this area and really bringing your attention here you are awakening something and there is you know there is a power here you know spiritual uh, traditions it's kundalini it's it's shakti it's life force energy and so often i hear that women will come to me and they will say sarah i'm just really 
disconnected from myself and I want to come home to myself. And primarily coming back to your womb space. It doesn't matter if you have a womb or not. It's really that womb space as a woman in particular, coming back to this area and really honoring her and moving her and getting to know her and courting her. This is liberation. And it's, it's an act of revolution actually as well. And it's because for so long we have been taught to feel very shameful about those parts of our bodies. And of course, if you are, uh, rejecting a part of your body and you feel shameful about it, you're actually rejecting a part of yourself. And it's, and it's the most crucial part of ourselves, our creative energetic centers. It's crazy. It is crazy. And that's nice. Those are really, I think, eas- easily obtainable practices, which I always like when you can do things that fit into your life pretty smoothly, because I think that can hold people up too, where it's like, oh no, I have to make all these changes. And do all these big things. And, you know, what you just described sounds a very pleasurable and um, B like you can just fit that in. Absolutely. When you're brushing your teeth, you know, I love to do spontaneous movement when brushing my teeth or even something as simple as, you know, you're at the dinner table or something and moving your, you want to grab the salt, moving your body in a slightly different way that just feels more creative you just start to inhabit your body much more. I mean, I know it sounds completely nuts, but it does work. It's, yeah. it's a sense of really connecting to yourself in that moment. When you're connected with your sensations in your body, not only are you releasing stored tension, emotion, trauma, but you're also inhabiting the present moment. Exactly. And this is what we lack so much. So just giving yourself permission to feel into your body every single day will liberate you. No no doubt about it. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think, again, for me, that's one of the big reasons why I love the somatic experiencing work. Yeah, it's for trauma and all this other great stuff. But like for me, I'm way more present in my body. And to be able to Mm-mm. teach and help other people to inhabit their bodies, it's that's everything. That's our lives right there, you know, to actually be here in our bodies. Like as we walk around through our day, it's, it's, it's great. It's so magical. Um, and I think so many of us, you know, I'll catch myself like going super cognitive and just being in my head. Um, so it's so wonderful to have tools and practices like you were describing to bring it back and to come back, come back home, really. You know, this is. That's it. It's coming back home. Like what it feels if you like. Are, yeah. If you are disconnected from your body or disconnected from the home of you. And we live in a world where we're walking around in our heads. We're disconnected from our bodies. And we're also that, that is mirrored by our disconnection to the planet. If you're disconnected from your home, then there is, there is imbalance going on. And, it, and tra- you know, trauma as well. We think of, I, I you know, only coming to these kind of practices when we've experienced trauma. But actually, you have experienced trauma because trauma is not just something that has happened to you or a situation or an experience, but it's also those moments when you've made decisions that have gone against your essential self, what you really want, who you are. And we do that every day. So it's that contraction, it's that trauma, those, and that mistrust that we create when we're not aligned, yes. when we're not making decisions that are aligned with who we are. So these practices are important for every single woman. So she can really come home to herself, herself. and so passionate about this because I truly believe that we will never be able to rectify the imbalance that we see in the world, you know, with all these 
men who are, and I'm not male bashing here, but men who are operating from a certain level of consciousness who are running the show in our world and women who are not, some women are starting to step up and, and become leaders, but there's still an imbalance. We will never rectify that, this imbalance unless women are really connected to who they are and really start to uh, value themselves and their in, innate inherent superpowers, their feminine powers. So that's why this liberation and that's why, I, that's why it's so important to me. That's why I talk about it. That's why I'm so passionate about it because you can't have balance when one half of the population are discriminated against, there's bias against them, or they're just disconnected from the truth of who they really are. Yeah. I think that's a big point and one that's not addressed, you know, globally very often, or if yeah, so, it's almost minimalized, but it's, it's huge. Yeah. Transformation occurs from within primarily. Yeah. It's all very well saying it's the system's fault and for sure, but systems are always a reflection of how we allow them to, to run us. We allow them to, to work in the way we do when more women step up and, and, um, really do this kind of deep work to really connect to who they are, to really reclaim who they are and to work, to operate in ways that are inherently aligned with who they are. Things will change. The structures will have no choice but to, to shift and mutate to accommodate that. So really it's an internal job as well as an external job to change yeah. it, to change the planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. So Sarah, it's been wonderful to chat with you. I before- love this. Yeah, me too. Before we go, um, do you want to tell people where to find you or if you have any announcements you want to make or anything like that? The floor is yours. I know you have oh. a podcast. I do. So I have a new podcast. It's called Women Who Prosper. When I talk about prosperity, I, it's, not ju- it's not just about finances, but it's really about the ability to raise your level of consciousness to draw in opportunities and resources that allow you to live your highest vision for yourself. So it's really all about limitless living. So I have a podcast, Women Who Prosper. You can check that out. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Sarah Coxon, or you can check out my website, www.moonmagicmiracles.com. And there's lots of yummy free trainings about limitless living and theta meditations and lots of yummy stuff over there. So yeah, feel free to check it out. Awesome. And I'll put all that information up in the show notes too for everybody. All right, Sarah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.